Amen. All right. Does anybody need an outline? Does everybody have one? All right. <clears throat> We're going to wrap this series up tonight, presenting the gospel. This is the third part, and this is uh, a much more practical aspect of it, but um, at the same time, very spiritual as well. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, I know there's not a lot of room to write notes on there. I My... my uh, notes are not extremely long, but they're a little bit longer than this, and so I, I, I always try to keep it to one page front and back so you don't have a bunch of pages. So I took some things out that might have been helpful for you, um, but you might, maybe you can just write some of these things down or whatever. But what I'm planning to do next week is um, have some questions and answers. If you have any questions about, you know, knocking on doors or any of those kind of things, but then also to kind of and it's not going to be the same because it's, it's not a real-life situation, but what I'm going to try to do, and uh, I didn't even tell Brian yet, but uh, what I'm going to try to do is um, kind of go through a scenario as if we were standing at the door and talking to somebody, and actually three or four different scenarios. So, um, you know, Brian will be the, the person whose door I'm knocking on, so he'll be a Catholic, he can be a, you know, an atheist, he can be a whatever, you know, we'll do a couple different things, and we'll try to talk through them, and a what? Or Brian, too, yeah. That, that might be too challenging, though, so we'll just stick with Catholic or atheist. But um, uh, we'll try to do that next week, and uh, it, it's, it's, hopefully it'll be a help to you. We'll see how it goes. I've never done it before, but um, I've, I've been knocking on doors for a lot of years, so I'll just do what we normally would do if we go to a door and talk to somebody. So um, anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 20, we'll get to in just a couple minutes, but... We talked about uh, having a knowledge of the Scripture. It's important to understand the Gospel. You've got to be able to take somebody through the passage. Uh, and, of course, planned approach to presenting the Gospel. There are two definite uh, prerequisites, two definite things that you have to have in order to be prepared as a soul winner. But we also have to have proper manners and we have to have proper etiquette uh, for soul winning. And so um, I think the physical aspects, and, and you'll see what I mean as we talk, and you can see manners, philosophy of appearance, and so on, those are the kind of things that I'm talking about when we're talking about the physical aspects, but they're very important mainly for the purpose of presenting a good testimony for Christ. Um, if you're not presenting a good testimony for Christ, you're not a good representative of Christ. Uh, the Bible says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. That's what an ambassador is. We are representing Christ. We are here on this earth in Christ's stead. He's not here in bodily form. He's not here preaching. He's not here going door to door giving out the gospel. We are his ambassadors, and so we ought to represent Christ the best we can. Number one, while it's not our intention to overemphasize outward appearance, manner and appearance are especially vital in the organized soul winning program. They're vital in the organized soul winning program. Manner and appearance. And obviously, this is, this is the least of all the things that we talked about. Being prepared with the gospel is number one. Um, being able to talk to somebody and understand what they believe and, and get to the point where you can um, share the gospel with them in the best way possible is, is maybe number two. So this is on down the list, but uh, it's, it's important. We are representing the King of Kings. 
We ought, to, we, ought to, we ought to keep that in mind as we go out. The most important areas of soul winning are, is always the preparation of the heart. That's number two. The Bible never indicates that only the good-looking, you know, best-dressed people can be used of God to win souls. In fact, those are rarely the people who are used. They're so wrapped up in those things that they're not, you know, their heart's not prepared. Their heart's not right. Uh, so, I mean, not saying that you have to be ugly to present the gospel or to be a good soul winner or that you've got to be sloppy. Uh, but what I am saying is that the heart is the most important. But to the contrary, the scriptures are full of examples where God has greatly used what he calls the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. So since every soul winner is an ambassador or a representative for Christ, we have to keep a proper testimony at all times. We have to remember who we are representing. Um, and we're also um, an ambassador for the local church. And you can write that down for number, number four. We are an ambassador for Christ, but we're also an ambassador for the local church. And we have to never forget to represent his church faithfully and unashamedly. And, um, and when I say that, I don't mean, oh, Mount Victory, although that's part of it. Uh, you are representing Mount Victory, and the things that you do are going to reflect back on this church. Um, but, but Jesus Christ gave his life for the church. And not only are you representing Christ, you're representing his church. And what you do is not only going to reflect well or badly on Christ, it's also going to reflect well or badly on the church. And when we say the church, I mean, that, that might be the, what you do at somebody's house very well might be what makes them want to come to church or very well might be what makes them say, I don't ever want to step foot in a church. I knew I didn't like those places, and that just proves it. So we're representing Christ, and we're representing his church and we have to make sure that we represent them faithfully and unashamedly. So there's, there's been a lot of instances that, that uh, for lack of a better term, ill-mannered soul winners um, have brought reproach to the name of Christ into his church. So the purpose of this lesson tonight is to give uh, us as soul winners the tools that are necessary to avoid uh, actions, to avoid um, things that would misrepresent the cause of Christ. So let's get right into it. Number one is manners. A soul winner's manners... Good manners start with his general testimony to the public. For example, and these are some things that, that maybe if you think about, you can write down. Uh, these are some of the things that I would like to have left in there that I took out for the sake of space. But, you know, uh, you should never cut across somebody's yard, you know, especially Brother Bill's. If you walk on Brother Bill's grass, you're likely to get your foot cut off. Uh, but you see what I'm saying? You don't want somebody walking across your grass. You, you take time to keep it nice, right? I mean, you're not going to shoot somebody that walks across your grass, but you're going to think, what are you doing? You know? And, and especially if it's somebody who you are trying to convince that they need to be saved and they don't really care about these things, the, th the only thing that they can think of in their mind is, you just cut right across the middle of my grass. You know, I, I take time, I take effort to keep it nice, and you walk right across the middle of it. Or you walked right through my bushes. You know, you stepped on my flowers. Those are kind of things that, that are good manners. Just does it, okay, especially when we're just passing out flyers. It's a hassle to go all the way back down the driveway, walk three feet, four feet, and then go all the way back up the driveway. But it's manners. And that's what you ought to be doing because you care about the people you are trying to reach. And, and those are things that we keep in mind. Uh, here's, here's some other practical things that will help us. When you're knocking on a door, you should always pay attention. And I've told Jackson this, you know, we've been together before, and I, you know, always pay attention to which way the door opens. Because whoever's the speaker, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, whoever's the speaker, want, you want that person to be the one that's closest to the door when it opens, you know. 
the door opens and somebody says hi and oh oh, oh let me let me get around here and, and talk to you you know and it's not like somebody's gonna say what a what a you know what a clod what's he doing you know but it's just it's thinking ahead you walk into the door pay attention to the way that it opens so that when the door opens you can be standing there talking to the person that is is coming out uh, give a polite clear introduction of yourself that your partner your church that's we've already talked about those things but those are all part of good manners as well um, avoid getting too close to somebody. You know, I've heard stories like this before, and you could probably get away with it, you know, 30 years ago, never today, but somebody goes to close the door, and they stick their foot in the door, you know, keep the door from closing, because I'm not finished talking to you yet, you know, and then they're right in this person's face. They're trying to close the door, and you're keeping your foot there, you know, um, and, uh, but, but respect somebody's personal zone. Remember that you are on their property. You're on their porch. You're standing at their door. It belongs to them, not you. So if somebody's going to kick you out of it, leave. You know, I mean, I know it's not the best situation. We want them to get saved, but, um, you know, we have to remember our, our manners and our testimony as well. You should never seek to enter the home of a person that's eating or of a person that's in bed clothes for obvious reasons. I mean, you know, you, you're, you're trying to, you, your manners, right? And um, there, is, there are things that are appropriate and there's things that are not. And so we want to make sure we're doing things that are appropriate. When you're talking, make sure you slow down, be patient in order to avoid interrupting that person in the middle of, of the statement. And, and here's another thing. This is going to lead us right into number two, but soul winning by its very nature is confrontational. We are a lot of times telling people things that they don't want to hear about themselves, that they're a sinner, that they are deserving hell and, and all of those things. I mean, that's the gospel. That's what the Bible says. But that's confrontational. People don't want to hear those kind of things. But the soul winner has no grounds for being rude or argumentative in their approach. Is summoning argumentative, I mean, uh, confrontational? Yes. It's confrontational enough when you're being friendly with somebody. So let's be friendly with somebody. Don't get into an argument with them on their porch. I mean, um, you know, unless, unless they're trying to engage you in a conversation or something like that, but that's, that's different, you know. You're not going to be hollering at them on their porch about how wrong that they are, you know. And, I mean, it's just, it's just bad manners. So, um, let's talk about then the second one is compassionate confrontation. So winning is certainly confrontational. This is number one. But it shouldn't involve a prideful spirit or a criticism of a person. So winner must possess a compassionate heart. That's number two. Psalms, Psalm 12, 6 says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Somebody that's going forth and weeping is going forth with a compassion in their heart about the fact that the people that they are witnessing to are dying and going to hell. You're not going to approach that person with a prideful heart. Oh, I'm better than you because look at me. I'm saved and you're not and you need what I have. Uh, you're going there with the idea of, man, you, you need Christ. And I, I'm so broken over the fact that you're not saved. If we approach it with that, with a compassionate heart, uh, then, we're going, then we're not going to be argumentative and all of those kind of things. So um, not, only are his, not, not only are soul winner's manners important, but so is the, the, the partner. Uh, his partner's manners are important as well. So, um, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit as well, but, but first of all, when it comes to the partner, you should remain interested in what the soul winner is saying and be prepared to offer input if you're asked. And I've had this happen before, you know, somebody, it's, things are so different now, even in the last 10 or 15 years, just the difference in 
the way it looks when you're knocking on doors today versus the way that it was 15 years ago. 15 years ago, people would stand on their porch and talk to you a lot of times. Uh, now, nobody trusts anybody. And it's not that they're being rude necessarily, but they would rather talk to you through text or, or instant messenger or whatever the you know, different ways that people talk over you know, you know, um, electronic devices than they would talking to you face to face. You know, people are just, they're not used to it. People don't do it anymore. And so when you're on their porch, what are you doing on my porch? You know, it's kind of the, that's kind of how you feel now when people talk to you. But, you know, I've had it happen before. You're talking to somebody and they'll turn it, what do you think about that? You know, and if you're not paying attention to what's going on, you have no idea what the conversation has been. You could, you could very well, you know, hinder the whole flow of the gospel being presented. And that's happened before. It's happened before. Uh, but the second thing that the soul winning partner should do is aid in minimizing distractions. Um, a lot of times the soul winning partner can be helpful to, to quiet children when they get restless. You know, kids are playing out there in the yard or something like that. And, uh, you know, you might have one ear on the conversation and one ear talking to the kids. You're trying to keep the kids kind of, I mean, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but kind of keeping the kids away from the parents. If, if, you're tr if you know, the soul winner is talking to the parents, the partner's job is to kind of keep the kids occupied so that they're not interrupting the parents so the parents can listen to the gospel. So uh, that's the second thing. And lastly, and probably most importantly, a partner should dedicate himself to praying. Um, a partner's prayers can go a long way in, in winning the spiritual battle for that person's soul. Um, but we cannot be afraid. This is number three. Cannot be afraid to confront a man compassionately with the gospel of Christ. And, and honestly, that is one thing that I struggle with the most when it comes to these things because you don't want to make people feel bad. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to, I'm not a confrontational person by nature. Some people love an argument, you know. I'm not that way. Um, and so sometimes I do feel bad, you know, knocking on somebody's door and they come to the door and you can smell supper cooking and, you know, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you in the middle of this, you know, those kind of things. But we cannot feel bad about confronting somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and this goes right along with, with number four. We have to remember that manners and testimony are important, but they should never be used as an excuse to shirk any opportunity that God gives us to witness. You know? Oh, well, I just, I, I approached the door the wrong way, so I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to back up and leave, you know? Sorry for bothering you and leave. Manners and testimony are important, but nothing is as important as them hearing the gospel. So we can't use manners and testimony as an excuse to not share the gospel with somebody. And then we come to the philosophy of appearance, okay? A Christian must always remember that he is representing Christ daily. Since the unsaved world, this is number one, cannot look at Christian's inward spiritual condition, it's imperative that his outward appearance is becoming of a Christian. Um, look, when, and, and, and let me just give you some examples that, to, to help you understand what I'm talking about. You see guys, most, mostly guys, riding down the road on a bike in pairs with a shirt and tie with a backpack. Who are they? They're Mormons, and you know that, right? Because they're representing their church well. Now, they're not representing Christ well, but they're representing their church well, and they do a good job at it, right? You know who they are, and you know who they're representing, you know, a lot of times you see somebody out, uh, my wife, this is, we, we still laugh about this, this probably happened... Ten years ago, I don't know, um, we were in Walmart, and she's wearing a skirt, you know, and this lady comes up to her and said, I know my girl's Pentecostal, you know, and she said, no, I'm Baptist, you know, 
but but you see, you're representing somebody, and they know that something's different about you because of what you're wearing, right? Uh, I get asked all the time if I'm in the military. You in the military? You know, no, I'm a pastor. Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. That's exactly what they say, you know, because I keep my hair cut short and I, you know, I try to dress sharp when I when I go places and. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I try to do this with the police, and, and, you know, it's kind of a joke. You always look sharp when you show up. So I said, well, I'm a chaplain. I'm representing Christ. What do you want me to look like, you know? Uh, but but that's, it's, that's part of our testimony. Our, our appearance is part of our testimony. Um, just because somebody dresses up or just because somebody wears a skirt or just because they're doing this or that does not automatically make them a Christian. But you're representing Christ, so we should keep that in mind. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we have to remember, uh, number two, that we have been bought with a price and that we are to glorify God with our appearance. pastor told a story, uh, and I'll just read it to you. He said this, I was in the home of a man, and I was attempting to present the gospel to him. The fellow had long hair down to the middle of his back, and he was clothed in black leather and chains. Though his outward appearance seemed rough, the Holy Spirit softened his heart and he was saved. The next Sunday, a man walked into my Sunday school class who looked vaguely familiar. When I asked him his name, he said, you know me, I'm Dave. You told me how to be saved last Tuesday. I told him that he looked sharp. He then replied by saying, I just felt so good on the inside, I wanted the outside to match. What a blessing. That's exactly what you hope would happen when somebody gets saved. You become a new creature and you are now representing Christ, right? You wouldn't expect a, uh, uh, an ambassador of the United States to be dressed in, you know, uh, well, I was going to say ripped jeans and a t-shirt, but that's stylish nowadays, so maybe they would be, but um, when, especially on the world stage, when they're going to represent the United States, they're going to be dressed as sharp as they possibly can. Same thing with the president of the United States. He is representing the United States at these, you know, G7 summits and all of these things, and he's going to dress well. He's going, to, he's going to present himself well. And the same thing ought to be of a Christian. In fact, even more so of a Christian. The Holy Spirit, number three, teaches a Christian about the importance of being a new creature in Christ. Um, so uh, that's, that's the philosophy of appearance is, number one, that a Christian must always remember that he's representing Christ daily. But letter B, number two, a good philosophy is that a soul winner's outward appearance should reflect the holiness of God as he follows Jesus Christ as his example. 1 Peter 2, 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. You know, um, more, more and more of these Christian bookstores are closing down now. There, there was one that was right up here on Broad Street that I used to go into every once in a while. They closed. I mean, uh, I don't even know if there was another one that was over off a of whole street behind the coals and all that stuff. They closed. I mean, all the Christian bookstores are closing down. That's a sad thing. Um, I mean, I know things are moving more online and everything else, but you still have Barnes and Nobles and some of these big places that are still in business. It's sad that the Christian bookstores are closing down, but I used to go in there and, and you, you know, you go into the music section. Well, of course, first, the first thing when you walk in there and they got rock music playing in there and, every, and you realize that it's actually Christian music, you know, uh, but you go o over and see a lot of times when, I, when you get ready to check out, they have two or three CDs that they're trying to sell that are brand new, you know, put out there and everything else. And you see the way that these people are dressed, you know, and they're, they're dressed in, in leather and chains and, you know, uh, spiky, crazy hair and all this kind of stuff. They look no different, no different than anybody that you would see in any kind of worldly rock music band, you know. 
uh, and you ask these people, and, and they have asked these people before, you know, why are you doing that? And they say that, you know, the same philosophy that a lot of Christians have is that they can reach young people by coming down to their level. Um, dozens of teenagers are purchasing these CDs and, of course, listening to their music online and all that kind of stuff. But it, it serves as an incentive for them to continue selling that music and to continue dressing that way and all of those things. But that kind of philosophy, in fact, turn over to Romans chapter 12. You know these verses, but... That kind of philosophy is exactly what the Apostle Paul was addressing in uh, Romans chapter 12. Um, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. It cannot be any clearer than that. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be not conformed to this world. That's what, I mean, Paul is explicitly saying, don't be like the world. And here, and, and I know I've mentioned these before, but you can go on and look at um, uh, videos on YouTube of Hillsong, and I, I, I couldn't even name you probably five of these co uh, contemporary Christian music bands, um, but they're, they're a popular one. Go in there and look at them. Go, go on YouTube and look at them. You, you cannot tell any difference between a Hillsong concert and a rock concert. And I've not, I've not been to a rock concert, but I've seen pictures, and you know, every once in a while you come across a video in different places of what a rock concert. They look exactly the same. And, and the thing is, it's not just, oh, they happen to be the same. They're trying to be the same. They're trying to look like that, which is in direct opposition to exactly what the Bible says about being not conformed to this world. A Christian, number one, will never have to emulate the world in order to win the world. A Christian will never have to emulate the world in order to win the world, especially when in many, many places the Bible tells us, be not conformed to the world, love not the world, don't look like the world, be different, you're going to be peculiar. When the Bible tells us that that many times, there's no way that we have to be like them to win them. There's no way. We don't have to be like the world to win the world. We have to be Christians to win the world. We have to be bold Christians to win the world. Uh, but the second thing is this, Jesus wants to save people from the world, not call them back into it. If he's saving us from the world, then why are we going to tell everybody else that being exactly like the world is, is the way to live as a Christian? He's calling us out of the world. He's calling us away from the world, not right back into it the moment we get saved. If we're not offering anything different than what the world is offering, then what are we doing? What, what, what's the point? And that's why a lot of people, I believe, have just turned their back on Christianity altogether. Why do I need to turn to Christianity to live this rock music lifestyle? Why do I need to turn to Christianity to live this, you know, whatever lifestyle they want to live? Because most of these churches today are saying that that's fine. This is what Christians do. This is how we live. We're just, I'm just like you. And, and in a way, yes, we're all equal before God, but we're Christians and we're called to be different. If we're not being different, then what are we calling them to? So let me give you some practical tips. We'll go through these quickly because, I mean, honestly, we all do these anyway. But anyway, a soul winner should be trying to present the gospel as often as possible. And so because of that, soul winning efforts should not be limited to only the times when you're in a shirt and tie. Um, we, we always used to wear a shirt and tie going out knocking on doors. The problem is that when you show up in a shirt and tie, everybody thinks you're a Mormon. So we started wearing collared shirts, you know, um, Mount Victory t-shirts when we're out there putting flyers in the doors and stuff like that. I mean, that instantly identifies you with 
who you are, you know? And it used to be that, oh, these are, these are the church people, you know? They're coming in a shirt and tie. They're always sharp. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that does not represent sharp anymore, but the way that the world is changing, uh, even, even in a lot of times, businessmen will wear a college shirt when they're going out to do different, you know, things outside. Now, meetings and things like that, they're still going to wear a shirt and tie. They're still going to put a suit on and that kind of stuff, you know, wear it into the office and whatever else. But, um, you know, uh, we ought to be as, as dressed up as we can, you know. Um, and that's what I'm saying. It's not like you have, well, I'm not wearing my collared shirt. I'm not wearing my shirt and tie. I can't be a witness. I mean, if you're out on a construction site and you're talking to somebody about the gospel, well, hang on, I can't finish because I got to go home and get a shirt and tie on, you know. I'm not saying that, you know, so a, a soul winner doesn't have to be dressed up to win a soul to Christ. But when soul winners come together, this is number one, for organized church programs, and by that I'm saying when we come together on Saturdays to go out knocking on doors, uh, we should dress appropriately to go out and represent their local church and their Lord. And, you know, it might be fine for you to wear shorts and a T-shirt, you know, to go to the park or to go to a barbecue or something like that. But when we're, when we're coming here with a specific purpose of representing Jesus Christ, then we should come here with a specific purpose of representing Jesus Christ. So uh, a lot of churches actually have dress requirements for their soul winners to make sure that their appearance is, you know, proper and all this stuff. You have to wear a shirt and tie. You know, I mean, being fashionable, number two, is not as important as looking clean and sharp when we're going out. And if you're wearing a pair of khakis and a collared shirt and you look sharp, we're representing Christ well when it comes to those kind of things. So clothing should be, I, I put this in here as number three, pressed and clean, colors should match. And, and by that, I don't mean, oh, you know, you're wearing whatever. But, but you should look, you know, you shouldn't look like you just crawled out from underneath a rock. And that's what I mean by that. You know, um, and, you know, plaid pants with a, you know, plaid shirt and whatever, you know, I mean, Brother Bill, I know you got a lot of plaid pants in your closet probably, but just try not to wear them with a plain colored shirt, not another plaid colored shirt, you know. Um, but, but all I'm saying by that is we ought to do the best that we can to try to look as neat as we possibly can. Um, and here's some suggestions. Uh, number four, appropriate clothing for ladies includes a knee length skirt or dress. A woman's clothes should never be tight or clingy, attracting attention to any part of her other than her eyes. That's, that's just a good, that's, that's a good principle across the board. Uh, and we're, we're gonna, I'm going to give you um, a very important point in, in letter D. For men, hair should be cut above the ear, combed properly with a neat facial appearance. A collared shirt and khakis are appropriate for men in an organized program. And that's what I'm saying. These are, these are suggestions. But when we go out and we are representing Christ, you know, Look, you got hair down the back of your, you know, to the middle of your back. Uh, you're not representing Christ very well, right? I mean, what would you think if I came in like that? What are you doing? You're wearing, you're getting pastor. Don't you think you need a haircut? You know, why? Why? Because that's what's expected out of somebody who is representing Christ, right? And the same thing is true of us when we go out, you know? If I, if I showed up to preach and I got a three-day growth beard, I mean, unless I'm growing a beard out, which is probably not going to happen again, but, you know, if, if I show up in the pulpit to preach and I got a three-day growth beard and aren't you going to shave? Well, I mean, what's the point? You know, I'm going to shave tomorrow or the next day, you know. I just don't like shaving, so I'm not going to do it. It's not representing Christ well. It's not, it's not looking the best that I can possibly look. And that's what I'm saying. We, we should do the best that we can to look as nice as we can when we're going out to represent Christ. So, uh, but here's, here's letter D, and this kind of sums all of that up. The three key words to remember in regards to appearance are this. Modesty. 
neatness and appropriateness. Modesty, neatness, and appropriateness. And if we can check off all three of those boxes, then I can guarantee that we are representing Christ well. Whether that means you're in a suit, whether that means you're in a collared shirt, whether that means when we go out and pass out flyers, you're in a t-shirt. Modesty, neatness, and appropriateness. A soul winner should look his best and act with good manners because we are representing Jesus Christ. Now, let me address this then, vocabulary and soul winning, and this is a little bit more practical as well. We'll move, move through these things a little quicker just because these, these notes do move faster, but prior to the 1970s, most Americans were familiar with biblical terminology, and some were even acquainted with a lot of the language that's used by Christians, you know? Um, let me give you some examples. Um, uh, well, before I give you an example, let me, let, me, let me tell you this. The problem is that a lot of Americans have, have gotten away from the Bible. And where a lot of kids grew up going to Sunday school or going to VBS or going to these things, they're not anymore. Um, they used to hear those things in school. Obviously, those things have been pushed out many years ago now. Um, since the 1970s, our, 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 our country... Um, has experienced a, a great influx of immigrants, and, and that's not a bad thing, but it's, it's changed uh, people. As these immigrants come in, they don't know the 1970s Christian lingo, you know? Um, and so with, with lots of different obstacles that have happened, a, a soul winner has to be careful not to confuse the person that they're talking to with terminology that they're not going to understand. So that's another area that the, that, that the soul winner has to depend on the leading of the Holy Spirit to make sure. Um, I mean, Nitten's got a good handle on the English language now, but there's probably some terms that I'd use that he's like, what does that mean, you know? Uh, I mean, uh, being born again, right? Now, he, you know what that means because you've been in church, but, but somebody who comes from India and you say born again, well, what are you talking about, born again, you know? And, oh, we just carry on with the conversation. You ever been born again? What is this guy talking about? You know, it's, that doesn't make any sense. So what I'm saying is we've got to be careful with how we say things so that we don't confuse somebody that we're trying to win. used to be that you could talk to somebody like that, and they knew what born again meant, even if they weren't. You know, but, but things are changing in, in our world today and in our country today, and so we've got to be careful about that. So a lot of terms, many terms, letter B, which we use frequently in the church will only cause confusion if they're used in a soul winning, um, in a soul winning situation. So... Let me give you some examples rather than, we're out soul winning tonight. Now, we use that term soul winning all the time. Obviously, it's in the title of our thing. But if you said somebody soul winning, that's a term that people don't know what that even means. You know, think about that. What is soul winning? Most people don't even realize that they have a soul that's going to heaven or hell. And you're telling them soul winning. So, you know, change that. Say it, you know, we're, we're out. Um, visiting, or we're out telling other people about Jesus Christ. That's a better one. We're out telling people about Jesus Christ because that's, there's no, no question about what you're doing at that point. Um, instead of asking, has anyone ever told you how to be saved? Because what does that mean? You know, have you been rescued from, from a, a boat that was sinking or something like that? And, and I'm not trying to be, be funny. People don't necessarily know what that means today, you know? So instead of saying, has anyone told you how to be saved? Better to ask, has anyone ever told you how to accept Christ as your personal Savior? Know that you're on your way to heaven. I like that one the best. Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? There's no question about that. 
And even in our world today where there's so little um, care about spiritual things, people still know what heaven and hell is. Uh, and they still want to go to heaven. So in no way um, are these, you know, these recommendations uh, an attempt to water down the gospel. We're not trying to water down the gospel. And by saying those things in a different way, we're not watering down the truth of the gospel, but we're trying to use common sense and so winning. We want to use terms that people would be familiar with. So letter C, when encountering someone who is familiar with biblical and church vocabulary, the soul should ask questions to make sure that his doctrine of salvation is based on faith in Jesus Christ. Because look, Catholics use the same terminology a lot of times that we do. Mormons use the same terminology a lot of times that we do. Now, it means two totally different things to us than it does to them, but they use those terms, and that's why it's, it's important that we make sure we ask them, well, what are you talking about? You know, I mean, not necessarily in those words, but what do you mean by that? Because to a Mormon, being born again is not the same thing as it means to a Christian to be born again. Right? Baptized in the Spirit does not mean the same thing. So we need to make sure that we understand. We need to make sure we talk to them and make sure that, that we understand. So, you know, that person could have grown up in church or they have spent a lot, of, a lot of hours watching religious programs on television or something like that and know what those terms are but not have any idea what they mean. So uh, he knows all the language, but he's never truly accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. A lot of times somebody appears to, oh, yeah, I've been saved, when in actuality their version of saved does not even come close to what our version of saved is. And so we, we ask them those probing questions. Well, how do you know? How do you know you're saved? That's a simple question, and they should be able to, at that point, tell you the gospel. Well, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Okay, well, then that makes sense. You are saved, probably. But if you, oh, yeah, I've been saved. Well, what does that mean? Well, I, I pray to God every night, right? To a lot of people, that's what that means. So we, that's why we probe a little bit more. So there's numerous words and phrases that a lot of people that are religious but lost have heard. A wise soul winner, a wise soul winner will be selective in using the proper substitute words. The question, have you been born again, should be replaced with, have you ever recognized that you're separated from God and received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Or, number two, rather than asking, have you ever trusted Christ or are you a Christian, because again, Catholics call themselves Christians. Mormons call themselves Christians. Lots of other religions consider themselves to be Christians. Um, it's better to ask, are you sure that you're on your way to heaven? And I mentioned that, but I like that one the best. That one is, it, it leaves no Are you 100% sure that if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? That's a yes or a no question, and it, is, it leaves very little to theological interpretation. Letter D. The alert soul winner must try to determine the depth of the prospect's familiarity with Christian terms and then make the proper adjustments in his speed, delivery, choice of content while presenting the gospel. If you're talking to somebody that's obviously been in church for a long time and they know the terms, you can go a little faster through those things. If you're talking to somebody, Nitin, we, we talked about this before, some of the guys that you work with, um, and, and we've talked about that as well, uh, they have no idea what you're talking about, when you even say the word saved, it doesn't mean anything to them because they, they don't even understand the concept. Uh, you know, talk about Jesus dying on the cross and they don't even know what that means or, or what it's, and we talk about it as, have you accepted the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? And they're saying, what does Jesus died on the cross mean? Right? So based on your conversation, that's going to let you know, all right, I need to slow down, I need to go way back. Here's, here's what happened. Jesus died on the cross, here's the story, those kind of things. So we need the Holy Spirit's leading, 
to help us to know where to start, where to go, how slow to go. It may take two, three, four, five, six times of talking to somebody for them to finally get to the point where they understand, but each person is going to be different. So that's what I'm talking about under this little section of, of these terminology and making sure that we're doing that the, the right way. Letter E, we must be discerning teachers. We must be discerning teachers who try to understand the level of a prospect's understanding before we get too far along with our presentation and realize they have no idea what you're even talking about. So, all right, and then the last thing is this, the soul winning partner. When Christ sent out the first soul winners, he sent them two by two. And besides the fact that it's biblical, which obviously we see that in many instances, uh, there's important reasons for going in twos, and there's several functions that a partner can accomplish. Uh, the support of the partner can become one of the most important aspects of the visit. And uh, he provides, and there's a long list here, but he provides accountability, he provides credibility, he provides support, he provides encouragement, companionship, safety, protection against wickedness or slander. We'll talk about that in a second because that's not something that is unheard of, especially in today's world. Um, but... Um, by, by somebody else being there, it provides credibility. Well, there's actually two people that are talking about the same thing, right? One person might be a nutcase. Two people give credibility to the nutcase, right? And it makes him have a leg to stand on because he's he got somebody else that agrees with him on this. You know, even if he's the only other guy in the world that does, somebody else agrees with him. And if your partner's standing there shaking his head and nodding and, and being part of this conversation, then this guy is saying that what he's saying is true, so maybe there is something to it. See what I'm saying about giving it credibility? And then just, I mean, look, two, two people become very close when they're going out knocking on doors together and spending time, uh, you know, visiting and that kind of stuff. So um, having a regular soul-winning partner will help a person to remain faithful because he's accountable to another person. We don't always do it this way, but, you know, when we go out, a lot of times the same people go together. And when you're not there, the person that you normally go with is missing a partner. We've got to figure out how we're going to get that person in and everything else. So uh, if that person doesn't show up at the regular time or, or whatever else, you know, then, then uh, his partner's going to be left without somebody to go with. So uh, a soul winner needs to be faithful for his own spiritual benefit, but also for the benefit of the people that you're going to witness to and, and to the partner's benefit. So number three, let us see. The faithful soul winning partner is a tremendous source of support. Fellowship with and encourage the soul winner about the importance of spreading the gospel, being able to share the victories and defeats with somebody else. Um, I remember uh, when we were on deputation, raising support to start this church, we were up in New York, and uh, any time a church had a soul-winning um, program scheduled when we were going to be near their church or with their church, we always went with them, and it's an encouragement to them, and it gave us an opportunity to get out and go with somebody, and um, I mean, one of the best times that I had was with a guy who, who was a relatively new Christian. He'd been at it a couple of years, but, uh, you know, he got to talking about some of the things that he dealt with when he was knocking on doors. And I said, man, it's, it's an encouragement to know that other people are dealing with the exact same thing, you know. And, and uh, so that's a way that a, that a, a partner can help. The devil, letter D, will use any trick in the book to ruin a faithful servant of Christ. And so a person who goes so winning alone might be setting themselves up for trouble. Now look, if you're the only person available, go. But it's wise to be in groups of two, at least. Um, more than two gets to be a little bit of a, uh, of a, um, a headache in other ways, but 
you should never, never go with just by yourself, especially today. Look, you, you go to a door, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way at all, but you go to a door where there's a single woman there that wants to claim that you, you know, whatever. It's your word against hers, and in today's world, with this Me Too movement and everything else, guess who they're going to believe? It doesn't take, it, it, it's, it's not a stretch for, for us to say that the world wants to see Christians destroyed. And, oh, well, nobody would ever do that. They would, and they have, and they do. And so it's very, you know, if you have two people, and obviously, you know, two people's word against one is a whole lot better than one person's word against one, um, and it doesn't mean that it's going to eliminate all of those things, but it certainly gives us a lot, a lot better leg to stand on. So uh, many men have been the recipients of false accusations by uh, apartment managers or, or scandalous women or other men who are wicked who just are trying to destroy Jesus Christ and his servants however they can. So a partner's presence can curtail a lot of potential problems. Uh, letter E, in every area of life, there is a need for leadership and direction. And by that, I mean this. Number one, um, one person has to be doing the talking. So the partners should, be, should decide before each house which one's going to do the talking and which one will be the silent partner. And a lot of times when I go with somebody, uh, and obviously I go with my wife most, and when I do that, or, if, or Jackson, obviously I'm going to do the talking, you know. Um, but if you're visiting with somebody, Brian and Mr. Forbes are going together, usually what we'll do is, all right, you talk at one house and then keep going until you get one and then you can talk and then just go back and forth. Or if there's one person who is, you know, a lot more comfortable speaking to somebody at a door than another, let them be the speaker every time. It doesn't matter who does it, but you need to determine ahead of time who's going to go and be the speaker because knock on, you know, open the door and two people start talking at the same time. There's a lot of confusion going on there, right? Or, you know, somebody starts talking, hey, uh, you know, I'm, we're from Mount Victory Baptist Church. We're just out knocking on doors, inviting people to church and talking to them about Christ. And, uh, and then the other person jumps in and starts talking. Oh, oh, yeah, we wanted to, blah, blah, blah. And now this guy's left standing here waiting for him to finish. And what's he trying to say and everything else? So one person does the talking at the door. One person is a silent partner. Now, there's a couple things uh, along with that, though. Um, the partner might be a person in training. He may be an experienced soul winner. It doesn't matter. Um, you just have to decide who's going to talk and who's not. In either case, um, you know, you have to allow the other person to dominate the conversation. Um, it might be somebody who's done it for their first time, and, oh, man, he is, he is messing this thing up, and you want to jump in. If he asks, then yes, be ready to jump in. But if he doesn't, let him talk. Let him dominate the conversation. So there can be occasions... Number three, for the silent partner to speak briefly, but he must be careful not to detract from the gospel plan of salvation. And if the soul, winner's, uh, the soul winning partner's spiritual background is more similar to the prospects, it may be helpful for him to share his testimony before the leader shares the gospel presentation. Look, you, you realize that you're standing at the door and you're talking to somebody who's a Catholic. I've never been a Catholic. I understand a lot of what they believe, but I've never been a Catholic. But my partner might have been Catholic and got saved, and he knows a lot about the Catholic Church, so he's going to say, hey, I was Catholic before, and I realized this and that, and the other thing, I got saved. And then the partner who's going to talk, I mean, maybe at that time you decide, hey, go ahead, you know, give the gospel. Well, no, I can't because you were the one that was supposed to speak at this house, you know, so uh, I'm not saying that, but work together. But there's one who is the dominant partner and one who's the silent partner at every house. Determine that before you get there. 
Make sure that you're presenting a unified front. Uh, the greatest help, letter F, that the soul winning partner can offer is to pray. That the Holy Spirit would do a work in the heart of the prospect. James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So a soul winning partner should, should pray continuously before and during the call. You can talk to the Lord while the other partner is talking to the prospect. That's, I mean, what a, what a great way to support, what a great way to back up. And so during the course of the, of the soul winning call, Satan's going to try to send as many distractions as he can to keep that person from hearing the gospel. So the silent partner may need to talk uh, to the unexpected guest that walks up to the home. Um, or the unexpected guest that walks around, the, you know, the person who lives there that walks around the back of the house to see who's at his front porch and that kind of stuff. So the silent partner um, uh, should attempt to, to occupy disruptive children, but only so much as the parents will allow. Um, you know, all right, kids, you're coming with me. Let's go get in my car. You're a distraction, you know. That's not going to help either. So um, keep, the, keep the distractions to a minimum if you can. If you can't, you can't. Uh, last thing is this, then. The silent partner must remain alert at all times as he watches for potential interruptions and helps to turn away any situation or chat um, that would hinder his partner's presentation of the gospel. So um, this is wrapping up three weeks, obviously, but procedures, the way we talk to them, how we talk to them is going to vary based on the time and, and, and the place and, and everything else. But the main objective is never going to change. And the things that we discussed over the last couple of weeks are, are just suggestions that are proven suggestions with God's blessing, you know. Um, I'm not talking to you about something that I've only theorized would work. I've been knocking on doors since I was in high school at the very least, and, and even before that with my parents and, you know, with others, and so uh, these are things that work, and they're, they're things that help us to get the gospel out, and so um, the, the standards and the methods that we're talking about are standards that are clearly going to present us blameless uh, and present a blameless image of our uh, Lord and Savior, and so when it comes to something as, pres something as important as presenting Jesus Christ to a lost world, Straddling the line is not an option. We have to be representing Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. And like the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, let us walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. Uh, what do you think he's talking about in that passage? He's not saying, well, you're a carpenter, so be the best carpenter you can be. Now he's told us to do the best that we can do at everything that we do. But the vocation wherewith we are called is Christians. And so he says, walk worthy of that. But to be doing everything we can to represent Christ in the best way that we can. So that's kind of what this whole lesson tonight is about, is just our manners, our, our appropriateness, the things that we say, how we say them, uh, what we look like when we show up at somebody's door. We ought to be doing everything we can to represent Jesus Christ. He's our king. And not only is he our king, he's the king of kings. And, he, and we're our representatives here on this earth. So next week, um, if, if you have any questions or something like that, I don't know what kind of questions necessarily you might have. Um, but if you do, um, be more than welcome to, to write those down and ask in the service or write them down ahead of time and give them to me and I'll address them. But um, what we'll try to do next week, and we'll see how it goes. It, it may last 10 minutes. It may last 10 hours. No, it's not going to last that long. But we'll, um, we'll, we'll go through the process as if we're knocking on a door and talk to somebody. And, and I'll try to explain a little bit maybe as we go through. 
um, what I'm saying and why I'm saying those things, it's, it's, it might be a little bit awkward because it's not going to be actually standing at somebody's door, but uh, you'll get the point, hopefully, and, and uh, hopefully it'll help you to be able to go share the gospel with somebody else. All right? Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for the greatest job that you've given to us on this earth, and that's to be Christians and to represent Christ. There is no greater privilege than that. There's no greater occupation than to be a witness and to be a soul winner and to be a Christian. And so I praise you to help us to be the best that we can be at it and that we would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called, that we would be good ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that we'd win many souls for you through this church and through the people of this church. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.